There's no perfect people allowed. You're going to hear some blurbs from some of our staff in this uh, series that we're doing called No Perfect People, where we all have junk, we all have things that we've dealt with, and we're studying through 1 Corinthians and seeing that church full of all sorts of depravity, all sorts of craziness, and how God is helping correct them and lovingly, like a father, discipline them. It's an amazing, amazing book, and the study we are going through Um, throughout the whole summer for the next several weeks. I have a wonderful, wonderful privilege to bring to you one of the good friends of CLC, as well as myself, Fikri Youssef, who is a brilliant, brilliant communicator. He travels all over the world, speaking at campuses, colleges, doing apologetics with Rice Brooks, and, and, and just doing an amazing job everywhere he travels. Every time I talk to him, he's in a different country, he's a different place. He just got back from Brazil, and uh, he's going to give you some information on that, as well as continuing our study at First Corinthians. Can we give a CLC welcome to Fikri Youssef? Good morning, everybody. It's an honor to be with you today. I believe that God has a great word for us, and we're going to continue in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Just before I I go into the word, last time, if you were here last time I came in November, y'all prayed for me because from Houston, I was flying all the way down to Santiago, Chile, which is a, that's a country, not the food chain, Um, (laughs) where we don't have, we didn't have an existing church or a campus ministry. It's a, a city of a about the same size of Houston, six, seven million people, uh, very far away from God, a lot of atheism, uh, and we went there to do some outreaches on the campus. So let me give you a very quick video recap of what happened because of your prayer, you sending us out, flew from here to Santiago, met uh, Rice Brooks in Santiago, and this is what happened if we can get the video up. So in three days, we had 800 students on secular campuses where Um, One of the campuses, the dean that met with me told me, no Christians have ever done anything on this campus because it's a very anti-Christian campus. And I'm afraid that even if we allow you to do your event, nobody's going to show up or people will be just protesting out. That was the last one that was absolutely full. There was 450 people in that particular campus that came. Many stayed talking to us. Uh, Many gave their life to Christ. We started a campus ministry there. And On the way, a church of a good friend of mine decided that they want to be part of our movement, Every Nation. That church at that time when we were there was about 160 people. We gave them the the purple book. We started teaching them how to use the purple book, how to do small groups, discipleship. Uh, The pastor and I are good friends. He told me that as of last week, there are 370 people in one year. So God is, praise God. (laughs) So God is doing something great around the world, and He is not doing that just all over the world, but also here in North America and here at City Life. I, when I go, I mean, I'm going to take a picture of you a little bit later. When I go to anywhere in the world, I tell them about what God is doing in this city and in this church. As Pastor Chris said, uh, this is a very close church to me, uh, and I'm so honored to see what God is doing in this house. You guys are part of a worldwide movement, and as a movement, we are committed to reach every nation in our generation. Right now, we're in about 82 nations, so we got a little bit of work to do. 
if we call ourselves every nation, we cannot be just an 82. We've got to be in all the 196 that the United Nations has and just fill the earth with the glory of God. And I believe we're going to do that together. That is why my message today out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, is going to be called Mission Together. That's the title of my message. I usually don't use titles, but today I thought, why not? It's going to be a cool one. Mission Together. And I want to talk about that from the Scripture that we've had. So we're studying the book of 1 Corinthians. Like Pastor Chris said, it was a messed up church. Let me just tell you, if you were not here last week or you forgot, let me just recap real quick on the Corinthian church. This was the only church that Paul spent one and a half years to establish. In most other cities, he would go for a couple of months, six months, but for some reason, he had to stay a lot in Corinth. And when you study the history of the city of Corinth, you'll realize why. It was a metropolis. It was near the Isthmus. It was a, a transit city uh, near the ocean or the sea, actually. Um, a lot of great things were happening in Corinth, but a lot of cultural craziness, debauchery, uh, loose sexuality, I mean, you name it. If you want to think about a city that had all kinds of challenges, that was the city of Corinth. Nevertheless, as Paul is preaching there, it seems like at some point he got fed up uh, of all the opposition and all the sin in the city. I mean, they had the, the temple of uh, Aphrodite there um, where, you know, just read about it. I'm not going to mention that in church, but it's terrible. <laughs> um, and when Paul got fed up, I mean, he was actually praying, and the Lord showed up. You can see that in the book of Acts, and talked to Paul and said, stay here, don't be afraid, because I have many people in the city. And he stayed, and he persevered, and the church was planted, and it was a, a strong church, but obviously it was a church with a lot of challenges. Many of the cultural problems of the city translated into the church. So Paul writes this letter to address some of the problems. Uh, they called themselves to be a very tolerant church, but their tolerance was expressed in tolerating sin. And they had all kind of very well expressed sin in the church. And they said, the grace of God is that we can tolerate that. So Paul writes to them and corrects their theological mis, um, misunderstanding, corrects their ideas about how to govern, how to live a holy life, and he responds to many of the things. But the biggest problem in the church of Corinth, uh, I, and I'm not saying this is a problem here, but that was the biggest problem in that church, and from my travel around the world, it's one of the biggest problems in the church at large was divisions within the church. I mean, I've been in ministry for 30 years now. All over the world I visit, 38 countries, wherever I go, there is always some kind of factions and some kind of, I don't like this, I don't like that. Uh, you know, this, I don't like this color of carpet, I don't like that. There's always that. That was present in the church of Corinth, but their arguments was not on how cold they want the AC. They didn't have AC. Their problem was... I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow um, Cephas or Peter, I follow Christ. So the, the group that felt they are the most spiritual, they actually said, we don't follow any human being, we follow Christ Himself. By the way, those were the most proud people of the, the whole bunch. They didn't want to submit to any human leader, so they would say, oh, I just follow Christ Himself. So that problem of division was very prevalent in the Corinthian church, and Paul wanted to address that right away. As the 
church planter, as the apostle that started this church, he knew everything else I can deal with later. But the head of the snake is division. <laughs> that, that's the problem. That's the heart of the issue. If the enemy can divide the church, he will destroy the church. If the church can stay united, unified, it can stand up to anything else. I was just talking with my friend that uh, I'm taking some classes in seminary, and the most fascinating one for me have been to reread church history. So I took two semesters to study and read again about the church history. And man, there have been a lot of strife. There have been a lot of division. But God, can you say with me, but God? But God prevails. At the end of the day, His idea of church prevails. His idea of unity prevails. And if we stand with God on the idea of unity, we're going to accomplish His mission. That's why I, I titled my sermon today, Mission Together. Really, our mission cannot be accomplished individually, not just as a church or even as a movement. I mean, our, our, our mission as a movement is to reach every nation in our generation. That's big, no human being can do that by himself. No one local church can do that by themselves. We need an entire group of people to fulfill that. But even more bigger than the mission of every nation and bigger than the mission of City Life Church is the mission of Christ. Because at the end of the day, we are called to fulfill the mission of Christ, and Christ gave us only one simple, tiny mission. Go and make disciples of every nation. Not one, not two. And he didn't say evangelize them. He didn't say preach the gospel to them. He said, go and make disciples. In other words, bring the glory of God and the understanding of the gospel and the godly life to every part of this world, to every creature on this planet. Bring the message of the gospel to them so they can understand it and live by it. That's a huge mission. We need to do it together. We cannot do it individually. We need each other. Mission together. Our scripture today is a little bit lengthy, and I know it's going to take some of our precious time this morning, but please allow me to read the Bible. I love to read the scripture. Let's read it together. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, and I'm just going to read the whole thing, and then we'll dig into it for the next few minutes. But I brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infant in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready yet, for you are still of the flesh. While there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Now, I don't know anything about here. I'm just talking about the Bible. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos, what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos' water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care 
how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and the, that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself." Anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world of life or death, or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. It's a long scripture, and we've got a few more verses to go in, in, in chapter 4. But I wanted to bring this scripture, and there's no way in the world in the next 5 or 10 or 20 minutes we can explain every detail. I want to highly recommend you to go home this week and read once and again this scripture. Meet with your group, small group leader, ask questions about it, dig into it, and you're going to find a lot of meat that will feed your soul, that will feed your spirit. But if you read the entire scripture with me once and again, you'll realize that two words summarize the whole scripture and really stick out. Those two words are building and builder. Building and builders. Are we called to be building or builders? In the entire passage that we read, Paul speaks about, I'm, I'm a skilled builder. There are ones that build upon the foundation. I laid the foundation. And he also talked about, you are God's building. You are God's temple. We are the building of God. So he speaks all over this scripture about building and builder. Building and builder. I thought a lot about this. I was like, Lord, am I a building or I'm just a builder? Am I a builder or am I also a building? At the end of the day, I believe with all my heart that we're both. Each one of us is God's building, and each one of us is called to be a builder in the kingdom of God. Not sure what was your favorite toy when you were growing up, that you will know why I'm taking the Scripture in this route when I tell you my favorite toy. Growing up, my favorite toy was Lego. I love to build. My friend, I love to build. In fact, as I was growing up, my, I was going to become an architect. Just at 15, God radically saved and God called me to be a pastor. Still want to be an architect. So I love to build. I, lo I just love to build. Uh, I, I, would just, I had a collection of Lego and uh, my... my joy time was to sit down and build different stuff with it and keep it. Till today, I have this 3D, um, 
how do you call that? Puzzles? 3D puzzles? Yeah, all kind of cool buildings from around the world. That's my downtime. I build 3D uh, towers from around the world with puzzles. I love to build. So I know that God has called me to be a builder. But I think that God has called every Christian also to be a builder. Now, here's the thing about building. It sounds cool and easy, but it's not that easy. This is a beautiful building that you have. But I came here when it was being built. It was not that easy, right? It took a long time and a long process to get built. A few years ago, I took a mission trip. I take mission teams all over the world. Uh, and a few years ago, I took a mission team to Santa Cruz, Bolivia. And that particular mission was not necessarily evangelistic. We were going to build a church. But I didn't take a team of builders. We didn't have builders. It was a team of church members that said, yes, we will go and we'll build a building. So great. We had one builder and 25 people, 25 volunteers that were willing to do whatever we tell them. When we arrived to Bolivia, I didn't break that to them. They realized that down there we only build everything with brick and mortar. There's no wood. Every, and Americans are not very used to that. Uh, so they got there and was like, we don't know how to do this. And the builder told them, don't worry, I will teach you. And he taught all of them how to do the, the building and how, how to, how, what is that thing that you put in between mortar, right? So he, he told them how to, to prepare the mortar, how to put it, and they started working. And me and the builder had to run, get something from the store, and we came back after an hour and a half, and it was a really beautiful crooked wall. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was sad. <laughs> we had to knock it down and start again from scratch. Building sounds easy, and it's kind of cool, but it's not easy. It's hard work. If in the natural with walls, it's that hard work. Imagine in the spiritual. You know, because brick and mortar, they don't respond back to you. They don't fight you. They, there's no disagreement. It's, it's matter. There's no feeling. I mean, if you put if you put the brick too hard on top of the mortar, he's not going to say, hey, be kind to me. No, they just, it's matter. So, but when you're building lives, when you're building community, when you're building a group of people, that's a completely different thing. Because if you put two people together, they're going to fight about something. Anybody married in the house? <laughs> Am I the only one? <laughs> happily married for 23 years, we disagree on everything. But we're still happily married. <laughs> We don't like the same food. We, we have different kind of colors that we like. I mean, that's usually the case, right? If you put two people together, there will be disagreement. And there will be potential for great division. And Paul anticipated that. Imagine within the unity of marriage, within the love of husband and wife, there is differences. Look at the church of 200, 300 people. There will always be disagreement. There will always be this is not necessarily how I do it. This is not how I like to do it. Paul writes to them this chapter and say, look, if you're going to focus on your differences, if you're going to look of how different we are one from the other, this is not going to ever end. In every nation, we're a diverse movement. City life is a diverse, ch is a diverse church. To have people from different nations and different cultures and even different languages is not an easy thing. I'm a diverse person. I still tell people that. I'm a diverse person. What does that what do I mean by that? I was born in Cairo, Egypt. I lived my entire 
young adult life in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, from Egypt to Bolivia. That's North Africa to South America. I mean, it couldn't be more different. And for the last 11 years, I've been missionary in the United States of America, a completely different culture, still trying to understand it, still trying to understand how to approach the American culture, still have difficulty with the Bolivian culture, and I completely forgot the Egyptian culture. When I go back, they treat me as a foreigner. Diversity is not as easy. It's much easier to be with your same people. It's much easier to speak the same language. I have the honor of speaking six languages. God has blessed me with that. Just speaking in Brazil a couple of weeks ago. But it takes much more time and energy because it's not my language. English is my fourth language. It's not easy for me to speak in English. It doesn't come natural. I wish I could stand up this morning and preach in Arabic. I'll go faster. I'll go louder. I'll go, it'd be easier for me. And all of y'all will be scared and call the FBI, but that's what I'm not doing that. We're just, I'm just thinking, and I'm still, I, look, I have the highest clearance in airports, global, whatever they call it. I still get the random check in every airport. Every flight always get random. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I forgive you. <laughs> All right, so we got a few more minutes to tackle this. Building and builders. Let me submit to you that we're called, first of all, to be God's building. We are God's building. That is what Paul is saying. We are God's building. And by that I mean we are built on the foundation of Christ. The Apostle Paul says we are built on the foundation of Christ. He said, I, as a master builder, I put the foundation, and there is no other foundation. We have the core foundation class and all this and that, but really the foundation is Jesus Christ. Everything else come on top of that. If you believe and accept with all your heart that Jesus Christ is God-made man, everything else we can talk about, we can learn, but this is the non-negotiable fact. This is the non-negotiable foundation. The message of the gospel, the heart of the gospel is that God became man in Christ. Jesus Christ is not a friend of God. Jesus Christ is not a great prophet. Jesus Christ is not a great teacher. He's not even God Jr. He is God Himself. That's the foundation. That's what distinguishes us from any other faith, from any other group of people, and from any philosophy in the world. We believe that God became man in Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, lived in Israel about 2,000 years ago, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and offers free salvation for all. That's the foundation that Paul is talking about. And if you are here this morning and this is your first visit to the church, welcome to the church. We believe in Jesus. Look, I know we're in Texas, and everybody in Texas have heard about Jesus, but I'm going to talk about Him anyway, because He is the foundation, the non-negotiable foundation. In a world where everything is relative, in a, the postmodern world where we live, where, oh, if this is good for you, then it's good for you. Well, what, this is what is good for me, that Jesus Christ is the foundation of our life. He is the foundation. Look, we can talk about many things that we agree or disagree on, but that one foundation is essential. And I want to lovingly submit to you today, take time today to understand Jesus and to have a personal relationship with Him. 
being a building of God means that we're built on the foundation of Christ and we are built by faith in the message of the gospel. We're built by faith in the message of the gospel. The difference between Christianity and any other philosophy or religion in the world is that every religion in the world, let's see if you can put your hands like this. Can you put your hand like this? Okay. Every religion in the world, man does everything he can to approach God. Can you do that with me? Okay. That's what every religion, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, every religion, man tries to do everything he can to approach the divine. In Christianity, it's the exact opposite. God became man in Christ and lived the life we should have lived. He lived the perfect life, a sinless life. We do not live like that, but He lived a perfect life. Then He died the death that we should have died in our place because all of us are sinners, because all of us have failed God and deserve to be apart from Him for eternity. God became man in Christ and lived the perfect life, so He does not deserve a punishment. But then He dies the death that we should have died. In other words, He takes our punishment on Him and pays our bill. I don't know about you, but anytime anybody buys me a Starbucks, I'm very happy with him. Somebody buys me eternal life, I'm really, really happy with him. I'm really grateful. Cup of coffee earns my gratitude. Eternal life earns everything I have. And Jesus bought our eternity by dying on the cross. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead, proving that he is God himself and offering free salvation and forgiveness of sins to all who believe in Him. The gospel, my friends, is not by works, is not by coming to church, I go to church. It's not by tithing, I tithe. It's not by doing good works, I do good works. None of these things bring me salvation. We are saved by faith in the grace of Jesus Christ. Only by that grace. He is giving it to us for free. And if you are here with us for the first time, second time, or first time in a long time, I want you to remember that this salvation is offered for you. It's not a message of condemnation. Christianity is not a condemnation religion. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. He said that Himself in the gospel. I didn't come to judge. I came to forgive. I came to give a way out. I came to give an option. And the option is simply, I believe and I receive. I might be preaching to the choir and everybody here believes and receives, but if there is one that needs to hear that today, it is worth the time to say it. And let me conclude this part by saying it is worth for you to learn how to say it to your friends and co-workers and neighbors. It is worth the time to learn the gospel and share it with others. I come from Egypt where 97% of our territory is desert. We have a code in the desert. If you find water, let everybody know because you can save a life. If you're in the desert and you don't find water, you can die from dehydration, literally. I have found the living water that is Jesus Christ. It is my obligation to let everybody know. What they do with it is their decision, but we share it. Are you with me? So we are built by faith in the message of the gospel. We are built by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he, he, Paul talks a lot about that. Built by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not our own making. It's not our own effort. Yes, we study the Bible. Yes, we pray. Yes, we come to church. Yes, we go to small groups. All of these things are great. 
But let's remember that we are built by the power of the Holy Spirit. What happened in you and what happened in me is incredibly miraculous. If you've never heard my story, I don't have the time to share it, but just one minute of it. I was atheist in a city of 28 million people where 90% are Muslim. And I looked at the ceiling of my building and said, if you exist, I give you 15 days to show up at 15 years old. And day 15 at 6 o'clock, I heard the knock on my apartment door. I went and opened the door, and there was a young man there that looked at me and said, God sent me here to tell you that he loves you and he has a plan for your life. You're going to be preaching his gospel all over the world. And he turned around and left. What are the odds of that happening in a city of 28 million people? Your testimony might be completely different than that, but if you look at your own story, it's pretty miraculous how God changed your life, how God changed my life. I gave my life to Jesus April 3rd, 1989. I've been basically 30 years serving Him now. Best thing that ever happened to me, but it's not my doing. I'd rather be on the beach right now. My human nature but Christ in me, the power of the Holy Spirit, is what empowers us to live a godly life. Are you with me this morning? So we are God's building, but we're not called to be a building only. We are God's building, and we're called to be builders. Now, one thing I learned about building, building was brick and mortar. The most important thing that put the building together is the mortar. If you have the wrong mix... <laughs> Those, it doesn't matter how the greatest quality of bricks. It doesn't matter if you have the strongest foundation. I mean, none of that matters. If the mortar is not proper, everything's going to fall. So here is the mortar in spiritual life according to Paul. According to 1 Corinthians 3, what join us together is not buildings, is not pastors, is not... Uh, teaching, what builds us or what keeps us together is the mission of Christ, is our purpose. That's what keeps us together. The mortar of our life as Christians is that we are called to accomplish a mission together. We cannot do it by ourselves, so we're called to do it together. We might think differently. We might eat different things. Um, my Korean friend in the house, God bless you for kimchi. I lived in Korea, different kind of food. I lived there for three months, a lot of good things. You go to Egypt, you're going to be surprised with some of the food we, we, we eat. You know, the best food in the world, I always say it's in Latin America, is we eat steak. That's all we eat, steak, all the time. We have a lot of beef down there. <laughs> but anywhere you go, things are going to be different. But we are united, not by what we like and what we dislike. We are united by our mission. Mission together. And what's our mission? Our mission as a church and as a movement, and I believe it's even as the body of Christ, is very simple. We are called by God as City Life Church. We are called by God to honor God establishing Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered, socially responsible churches and ministries or campus ministries in every nation. It's a mouthful of words, but it's really simple. God has called us as a group of people, us, to establish churches and campus ministries. What you saw there on the video, that was a campus ministry that we started in Santiago, and it's going on. 
We started another one in Bolivia. We, you, you have one here in the University of Houston, right? You know, we start campus ministries. Why we do campus ministry? Because young people are being taught away from their faith. In North America, studies have shown that the nuns, that's not the, the Catholic order, that's none, no believe in nothing, have grown from 4% to 18% in the last 10 years. There is 18% of the population of this nation that believe in nothing. We need to change that. A grand majority of that statistic is on the campus. That is why we go to the campus. We go to where it's hardest. I just came back a, a month ago from Iceland where 0.0% of campus students believe in God. Now we change that. It's not much, but about 10 people received the Lord in the time that we were there. But that's huge for a nation that says 0.0% believe in God. We built campus ministries, but we also built churches. Because the church is where community happened. The church is where love happened. The church is where diversity come together. I mean, I look at you, and I'm just so proud of what you're building here. People from different backgrounds sitting together and being one in Christ. But we don't build any kind of church and any kind of campus ministry. We build churches and campus ministries that have three basic ideas. Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered, socially responsible. I already hit on the first two. I already spoke about what is Christ-centered. I already spoke about what is Spirit-empowered. But let me end with socially responsible. The church cannot avoid the responsibility of our society. We cannot forget what is happening in our world. If you don't leave the bubble of suburbia, you don't realize how much pain is in the world. Quite frankly, if you don't go on a 10 days mission trip or a mission trip period anywhere in the world, you don't realize how much pain is in the world. But when you travel internationally, you come with me to some of the places that we go to and you see the poorest of the poor and you see the suffering of our world, you realize the church cannot stop being socially responsible. We just can't. We cannot afford it. There's too much pain. See, when Jesus or when God created men and said to fill the earth and subdue it, what does subdue mean? He didn't mean like stomp on it. Subdue means take charge. What's bad, fix it. So when I see somebody that is dying because he had not eaten in two weeks, it's my responsibility to buy them food. When I see a person hurting because he just cannot afford the doctor, I got to take the doctor to him. That's why next week I'm flying to Bolivia and I'm taking with me a team of doctors from Nashville, Tennessee to serve the poorest of the poor in the outskirts where people, where even Bolivians don't want to go. We're going and we're believing God for many to be healed and to be impacted by the love of Christ. That's why you as a church, when the, the hurricane hit here, you went and served your community socially responsible. That's why you went into places that are dangerous even for your own health because we, the church, cannot afford not to be socially responsible. It is our duty. It's our obligation. That is part of our faith. See, preaching is not only about words. Yes, words, but action is important. When we show the love of Christ in real life, people are moved to believe the faith that we're preaching. May the Lord help us to continue to be builders. I'm going to end with this. I know I've been ending for a long while, but this is the real end. 
we collectively are builders collectively but each one of us is a builder and in the little experience I have with building when one member of the team doesn't show up it makes the load of everybody else harder it makes it more difficult for the rest of the team we need you you're not optional ma'am sir you're not optional we desperate for your help we're desperate for your gifting whatever God has put in your hand this house and this movement globally needs you you might not have the time to travel around the world like I do but by standing in prayer with me and by being faithful to your local church you're enabling us to go to the nation this church is a huge part of my ministry you partner with me in prayer and financially and because of your faithfulness I can go reach atheists in Iceland and poor people in South America but I cannot do it without you I wouldn't be able to do it without you I need you and hopefully you need me and you need us and we need each other amen can we stand together please